Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, July 4th, happy Independence Day to you Americans out there, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. Joining us from Dick Cheney's bunker is Lisa Bernhardt, who is a 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor. We are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is all about tanning, skin cancer, and melanoma. In the light of it, it is summer. It is hot. The sun is out. We are celebrating at the beaches down the shore. In our survivor spotlight, Juliana Car- Carvat, young adult survivor of melanoma. Returning champion, Dr. Jennifer Stein, MD-PhD, assistant professor of pigmented lesion services of the Department of Dermatology at NYU Medical Center, Skin and Care Associates, and Samantha Gill, bereaved young adult sibling national patient advocate at AIM at Melanoma. As a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I Am Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com, we help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay <clears throat> that, that 70,000 young adults are dying with cancer every year. So hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another fun and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any of all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, iTunes, as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And don't forget, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during each broadcast, and we invite you to join in the fun and connect with our friends and ask questions of our guests. <coughs> Man, that Chinese food didn't very, go down well. Very nice. Yeah, not good stuff. Yeah. A symphonic welcome. Yeah, well, anyway, Lisa Bernhardt's here. Lisa. Matthew. You are actually calling into the Cheney's Bunker, correct? I am. Dick and I are having a fabulous fourth together. Lynn will be here soon. We're, we're in our typical undisclosed location. 
And hear, uh, I, Rummy's coming too, right? Uh, Mitt Romney? No, Rummy, Don the Rumsfeld. Oh, Rummy, Rumsfeld, yes. The whole gang, we're all together. Hunting for quail. Like, Get yeah, that bird like, shot ready. <laughs> <laughs> I know, look out for that. I like this because I feel like it's a little bit, I can do a, like a what, Where's Waldo thing. Exactly. You know, I, I can exactly. sort of hide out. You can all guess where I am. <clears throat> but uh, this is a uh, wonderful 4th of July weekend. I went to the Subway Series yesterday, the Mets Yanks, and my Mets pulled it out, bottom of the 10th, and we avoided the sweep. Love I'm rocking I'm rocking my Mets hat. Nice. Yeah. I saw they, they, they sweep. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, they, I'm a fair-weather baseball fan, um, but anytime the Mets win... It's it's okay. It's okay. I it it, it is acceptable. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that it is acceptable. No, it was uh it was a uh, great uh great thing to do on this lovely July fourth weekend. Nice. And as always, welcoming back to the studio, Mr. Doctor James Manning Junior. Hey, hey. Hello, sir. Where are the fireworks, Matt? Where are the fireworks? Um may, maybe I can queue up some YouTube fireworks. That's gotta be around here somewhere. Stars and Stripes Forever. And in our guest spotlight, I am Chop Liver. Kenny, yes. Kenny's not on the internet tonight, so he doesn't really count. You're, no. really, you're like Tron. I am. If you're not in the web, you don't exist. No. Kenny Kane, VP Operations, uh, right to Y in the studio tonight. Pleasure to we be here. We are sans Wi-Fi, so I'm the only person on the internet right now. Uh, so Kenny and James will not be able to get involved in the chat room. Uh, so we hope you guys have some fun out there uh, on your own, unfortunately. But Sherry Salen, our um, our fabulous producer, is also in the chat room, so maybe she can stir up some tr- some trouble amongst the and I'm, there. Uh, and I'm Cheney and Rummy have allowed me to have Wi-Fi, so I'm in the chat room as okay, well. Okay, Lisa, you're you're, you're going to be the rabble rouser tonight. Yes. Oh no. No, the dog's going to be the rabble rouser. <laughs> no dogs in the bunker. Right. <laughs> Who gave her security clearance? <laughs> right. <clears throat> Let's see what I can queue up here. Here we go. Let's try this. Um, now we're talking. Great. Yeah, that worked? That's no? terrific. Eh, That's just eh, forever. Eh. What's the one that goes da 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 Da, 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 Kindergarten da, music class. Watching our fine feathered friend. <laughs> maybe somebody's mother. Isn't that the Bugs Bunny version? I yes. guess so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's the best. Stars and Stripes Forever, I think. Right. Yeah. Let's see if we can. I don't know. I'm going to try this one more time here. There we go. That is the sound of illegal fireworks. Call three on one. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, they'll, they'll be kicking in at 9 o'clock in uh, big NYC. I know. We were going to close this show hard at 9 so you guys can watch on television the Macy's fireworks. going to be a good show tonight. Um, speaking of fireworks, I posted this on the web, an old story from last year. Apparently fireworks cause thyroid cancer. Wow. And how is that? Um... I guess because people eat them, perhaps. I don't know. Nice. Um, all in all, it said like the 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 um, the flaming ash remnants of crap that falls to the earth is partially carcinogenic, and if you breathe it in, it can mess up your thyroid gland. So, 
So going back to the uh, the general theme of everything causes cancer, even fun yeah. causes cancer. Yeah. And P.S. It can blow one of your limbs off too. Yeah, I know. Well, that's sort of a secondary side effect. Right. You'll be a limbless thyroid cancer survivor. <laughs> Dear God. That's good stuff right there. Um, I also wanted to know if you guys um, saw the new, uh, this has been around for a couple of weeks, but it's making bigger press now, the new regulations on cigarette packages. Show, like, corpses with, like, like these uh, chest stitches and gum disease. Nice. It's like It's like these graphic rated R images yeah. are now on cigarette packages, and the companies are upset because they can't brand them anymore. Right. I haven't brand actually seen what? them yet. Yeah, I mean, I posted it on the wall for our on, on uh, Facebook.com slash Stupid Cancers today, but apparently like the Kent or Winston or Camel, it'll be like in the color of the brand, but you're going to miss like the whole, it's going to be like squeezed to the bottom half. Everything has to be completely rebranded to work. For these new cigarette mandate packages. So they won't have the entire front of the package to put their logo? No. Okay. But, like, it's like Dennis Leary once famously said in his No Cure for Cancer comedy special from, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, huh. that you could you could basically paint a carton of cigarettes black, put a skull and crossbones on the front, and name it Tumors, and people <laughs> will still buy it. <laughs> It's, it's an addiction like anything else. If you're addicted, it doesn't matter, I don't think. I suppose it doesn't matter. But yeah. anyway, I just thought it was very, very interesting. Um, we'd love to hear thoughts from you guys out there, um, and, of course, from you, Lisa, Kenny, James. Is the government going too far, or is this really a mandate of public health? I think that there's just, at this point, there's really no way for people to say don't smoke. I mean, if you've done it, you've known people who've done it, you've Maybe have known people who have haven't died from it, right? So I think there's still that like that last glimmer of, you know, what the hell are these guys talking about it being, you know, harmful for you? Sure. Uh, it's just it's not good. But then where does it stop? The government can't make cigarette smoking illegal. There'll be a huge black market for it, and the right. taxes they make on it are amazing. Right. Like it'd, be like, it. it'd be like prohibition. Right. You'd go to the guy on the corner and he'd roll right. you a cigarette. Right. So they're never going to make cigarettes illegal, but they're going to tax the crap out of them and scare you from using them, knowing you're still going to use them. Right. It'll be like pot. And then I'll be riding behind people on the Belt Parkway smelling cigarettes. Yes. But what they could do is is outlaw the chemicals that are now laced on cigarettes that cause even more addiction to the drug. I mean, the the, 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 the tobacco itself will cause cancer. That's obvious. But they also put chemicals in this stuff now that makes you even more likely to be addicted and quicker. Right. That they can get rid of. I don't think there'll be a black market for that stuff. Got it. Well, let's get to our uh, our first guest tonight. She's an old friend of mine. I'm really excited to have her on the show. And I will introduce her with this music. Plus. Juliana Carvat is a 26-year-old melanoma survivor. She is a blogger, artist, and teacher from Clinton, New Jersey. She recently was one of the three Best of Exhibition winners in the National Lily Oncology on Canvas Art Competition for her cancer-inspired artwork and narrative together titled No Words. 
When she's not teaching fifth grade, Juliana also writes a blog called Hope, Love, Run, which chronicles her exploits as a cancer survivor, seeking to push her physical limits. Her most recent feat, completing Boston's Run to Remember Half Marathon to commemorate her five-year cancerversary, increasing awareness about young adult cancer, and to raise funds for our friends over at First Sense. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only Julie Carbide. Julie! Hello. How you doing? Good. How are you? I just realized I haven't seen you in like a year and a half, and we met in the summer of 2008. We did. At the Livestrong Summit. Columbus, Ohio. Yes. Um, how have you been? <laughs> I've been well. I've been well. I've been busy. I know I haven't seen you in a while. It's been a while since I've been in the city, but uh, I'm doing good. We'll have to get you back here sometime. I know. I wish I could have been there tonight, but uh, I'm not in the tri-state area, sadly. Right. Well, you're going to have to come to Vegas for the OMG Summit next year, then. I am looking forward to it. When you awesome. guys, do you have your date nailed down yet? Yeah. I, it's unofficial, but we can announce it tonight. It's an unofficial save the date. Do not book your travel. But it is going to be March 30th, March 31st, and April 1st, 2012, at the Palms Casino in Vegas. So exciting. Yeah, very cool. Anyway, Lisa's on the line, and she has not had the pleasure of meeting you, so I'm formally introducing you indirectly. Hi, Lisa. Hi, it's fabulous to have you on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm so excited uh, that I get to be on. I get jealous when Matthew's had long-time relationships, and then I have to, you know, I haven't been around (laughs) as long, but... (laughs) She has to start sucking up now to catch up to my sucking up. (laughs) So when I met you in 2008, you were like a year out of cancer. If I that. was. I was fresh off chemo then. How did you even find out about the Livestrong Summit? Um, I had a friend who had gone to the previous one, and I had continually been checking Livestrong's site to wait for them to have another one. And when it came up, I applied right away to get to go. And I was so excited when I got a slot. And uh, I'm, I'm not really surprised that I got one, since I was probably the first person who applied to go. Um, but... Uh, I found out about it from that friend, and it was something that I knew I wanted to do because I wanted to learn more about advocacy and what I could do to give back, even though I was still, you know, right in the beginning of the recovery process from everything I had been going through. So let's talk about your story, your diagnosis. Obviously, melanoma is a, a, a an often unthought-about cancer. It's fairly complex in terms of understanding risk and treatment and doctor literacy, can you just talk us through your uh, your early screenings or how you found out about this and where your life went once that was detected? Sure. I mean, as far as early screenings go, um, I think my story is a lot like a lot of other young adults where I was brushed off. Um, I actually went to my doctor, my primary care physician, and I went to see her about a freckle on my shoulder that had changed. And I wanted to get a referral because I needed one for my insurance to go see a dermatologist. And she told me that what was on my shoulder was nothing to worry about and that I um, didn't really need to see a dermatologist. And if I did, they'd probably take off what was on my shoulder and the scar would look worse than what was there currently. And my parting words to her were, so there's no way this could be melanoma, right? And she said yes. And so I didn't see a dermatologist for another year. And when I did, he was obviously concerned right away. He knew something was wrong. And so they did a biopsy, and there was melanoma through the whole depth of it. And from there, I 
started going through a series of surgeries to have the melanoma removed and then to have lymph nodes tested to see if there was cancer in them, and there was. So I had to start treatment after that, and I did a year of immunotherapy called interferon, and I met you just after I had really wrapped that up and was sort of beginning the whole emotional recovery process from everything I had gone through. So, Juliana, what did it look like when you initially saw it and you went to um, initially went to the doctor compared with how it had changed over the course of a year? Well, I had had just a plain brown black freckle on my shoulder, and it really, you know, was nothing noticeable. And it started to um, sort of scab and bleed just a little bit, and then it turned into this raised pink mole. And when I went to see the doctor, it was just this little pink mole, and it looked kind of like you know, the end of an eraser, and it didn't look like what people typically think of as melanoma, and I know they put it in the magazines, like all the pictures, and what's normal and what's not, and what I had really actually looked normal. The only thing abnormal about it was that it hadn't always looked that way, um, and that's because I have this rare subtype that normally only occurs in children. It's called cystoid melanoma, so mine was a little different. Normally, melanoma is black and dark and scabby and gross-looking that people say, oh, this is something to worry about. But the kind I have tends to occur more in young people and doesn't look so harmful. Right. Now, as I recall, Julie, you're a relatively fair-skinned individual, correct? I am. I have lots of freckles, and uh, when I go in the sun, I turn into a little lobster. Right. So have you had you been practicing safe sun, you know, as I say, uh, your entire life, and this is just totally random, or is this, you think, more, they, they feel maybe genetic, or, or is that a reasonable consideration? Um, well, for me, they told me because I have this type cystoid that since that normally occurs in young children, it's not linked to sun exposure, and I was very vigilant about making sure I always wore sunscreen, and, you know, I was very aware of my fair skin, and even though, you know, my family doesn't have any history of cancer, it was something that I was always concerned about because I did have fair skin. And so I felt like I was very careful about it. And I got asked that question a lot after I got diagnosed. You know, people always said to me, oh, well, you must have tanned or you must have spent lots of time in the sun. And I didn't, which is why it was a little bit, you know, less expected than somebody who was religiously using panty beds or something. It's like non-smokers getting lung cancer. Yeah, like our other friend, <laughs> Jill. Yeah, Jill, um, oh, my gosh, Jill Harrison. Yes. <laughs> who's been on this show several times, young adult, non-smoker, lung cancer. Unbelievable. Anyway, so so basically you had the interferon for a year. Yes, I did 12 months of it, and uh, I knew going into it that it was not going to be very pleasant, and it's a non-cycle treatment, so what that means is, I was taking the drug, for the first month it was five days a week. And then after that it was three times a week, every single week for 11 months. And um, it was a self-injectable drug, so I had to give it to myself. And the side effects, is basically like having the flu for a year. So it's a very long and drawn-out process because you never really get to feel good during it. There's no, you know, periods in between treatments where you do feel okay. You're just constantly run down and not feeling good. And so, Juliana, where were you at this point in your life? Were you working? Were you in school? How were you able to manage this? Well, I actually was diagnosed after my junior year of college. 
so I was on summer vacation, and so it was probably the weirdest summer vacation that was not really a vacation that I'd ever had because I spent the entire summer having uh, back-to-back surgeries. I had three surgeries, each less than a month apart, and then the last one I had was my port implantation, and I started chemo that day. Um, So I did the interferon while I was going to school full-time. Um, and in the fall, it was very rough. I had a lot of accommodating professors. Um, I was at the College of New Jersey, and they were willing to basically waive my attendance requirement. So I did all my coursework, but I only showed up to class when I felt well enough or had projects due, and they were great about not counting that against me. And so I was able to take all of my classes in the fall, and then in the spring, I had to do student teaching because I'm now a teacher. And student teaching is basically like having a full-time job as a teacher and taking classes on top of it. And so that wow. was very challenging. Wow. And I love your I love actually the tagline of your blog. I want you to talk more about your blog, which is great. And and tell us about the running whether you were a runner before um you got melanoma or afterwards because your blog Hope Love Love Run has the tagline Treat me treatment saved me from cancer. Running saved me from treatment. So how was it then? Tell us about that and how, how specifically how running saved you from treatment. Well, I think what happened to me, because I was sick perpetually for an entire year, I wasn't somebody who was out regularly exercising. Um, I was certainly not a runner. And for me, during that year where I really couldn't do physical activity, it got to the point that I was almost jealous of people I saw out you know, running or riding a bike or even walking their dog, these normal things that I couldn't do, I never really wanted to do. I suddenly really, really wanted those things. And I thought to myself, if I ever have the opportunity, I am never going to take my body for granted again, and I'm going to do as much as I can with it and see really how far I can push it. And so right after I finished treatment, it was about a week after, I joined the YMCA and I started running. And at that point, I really couldn't run. Um, I was really walking, and gradually I was able to begin running. And I'm not sure why I equated running with sort of coming back from cancer, because it wasn't something I did before, but it was something that I just really felt drawn to. And I think, you know, the treatment saved me from the cancer, but the emotional recovery, for me, a lot of that was related to my running and my physical activity. And for me, running is also sort of meditation, that that's my alone time, and that's when I really reflect, and it really helps me feel well uh, physically to run. And I think that reflects emotionally, too, because I feel so much better about myself and what my body can do when I run. I want to just jump in about the Lilly Oncology on Canvas uh, competition. I was a judge for them about four years ago or five years ago, and I got to see the exhibit firsthand when it came to New York. And I was so humbled and moved by it. I think they invited me to play piano at their event, too, back when I was doing that shtick. Um, and uh-huh. I met so many survivors that painted uh, these. It was just an extraordinary outpouring of creativity and energy and expression. Um, can you talk us through what went through your your mind and your arms and your hands as you wrote this, uh, this uh, cancer-inspired artwork and narrative? Sure. I mean, my piece is... Um it's it's on my blog. You can if you go back there, you can see what it looks like. It's this tree, and the entire piece is is this multicolored tree within a circle, and the entire piece is constructed out of words that are written in teeny tiny cursive. And so 
it's very intricate, and it took me a long time to make it, um, but it was a real project to do, and I put a lot of thought and effort into how I was going to make it before I ever started. And the words that are actually on the piece are from a 150-page narrative that I wrote um, after I finished treatment. I started writing down all these stories of the things that happened to me during that time, and it was from them that I actually picked and chose stories. And so the piece is called No Words, and it's completely composed of my words reflecting on my cancer journey. Just amazing, really amazing stuff. We love to profile people that, you know, take their crap and turn it into beautiful art, and you've uh, you've certainly done that. Um, total personal question: Who do you what what grade do you teach? I teach fifth grade, um, so I have a whole lot of ten year olds who uh, I spend my time with. So I, I don't spend a lot of time with adults. I spend a lot of time with little kids. And uh, they actually, this was the first year that any of my students knew about my experience with cancer. I previously hadn't disclosed to my employer that I was a cancer survivor. And when I won the Lilly Oncology competition, they told me I would need to make the choice of whether I wanted to accept the award or not, because if I did, I was going to have to go public. Right. And I felt like I was at a point in my career, um, I had... Uh, I was very close to getting tenure as a teacher. You know, that's where you get some security in your position. And I felt like I had sort of earned my my position and my ability to keep it at this point, and I felt comfortable enough coming out about it. And that was a little bit stressful, but I did it. And I had actually students come in and bring me a newspaper article and say, you're a cancer survivor. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. And so we had to have the conversation about how I'm okay now. But um, it was very interesting how they received the news because they were just so proud of me for winning the art competition that it was just, oh, yes, and she has cancer. Do they really grasp that, or do you have to have sort of deeper conversations in terms of what that is, or did they come forward and say, hey, we know other people in our families that have had that have also had cancer? Well, a lot of them, yeah, they have some kind of a connection to it. And so it was more just saying to them, yes, I had cancer, but I'm okay. I'm okay now because that was the biggest thing for some of them who hadn't read the article and known about the competition and what it was all about, they just heard that their teacher had cancer. And there had been another teacher in my school who did have cancer recently and had to leave her position because of it. And so they were all concerned about me. Was I going to be able to still be their teacher? And so I had to reassure them that, no, it was something in my past and that I'm okay now. Right, right. Really amazing. So so they're, they're 10 years old. They don't tan yet. But do they have older siblings that tan? Is there actually a message for that age group about what to expect when they're going to watch Jersey Licious and Jersey Shore and Jersey Douchebags on television and everyone's gym tanning laundry? I know, and, and we're in New Jersey, so it's yeah. Um no, But I you're, think, in, you're in Clinton. Uh, it's different than, like, LBI. It is. It's not that kind of New Jersey, yes. You'll notice that I, I don't have that kind of a look or uh, that kind of a voice. <laughs> But, um, no, we focus mostly on just being safe about the sun um, and not really focusing on, you know, the consequences because they're not at an age where tanning is an issue. So, you know, when we have an outdoor event, um, you know, making sure the day or before, the day or two before, bring in your sunscreen. Make sure you bring your sunscreen. And then, you know, before we go outside, they see me in the classroom putting on my sunscreen and getting out my hat and just focusing on those things that they can do. And, you know, if I'm going back inside during field day to reapply my sunscreen, you know, I'll say to them, does anybody else need to go and reapply their sunscreen? If you do, 
come on inside with me and I'm going to put mine on and you can put yours on too. And just being aware of safe practices and you know, being responsible for themselves in that way. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, we're out of time for this segment, but you're welcome to stick around and listen to the rest of the show. Um, I hope that we can lure you back to New York at some point because I don't want to have to plan a whole conference in Vegas just to see you. Oh, absolutely. I'll come back and I'll visit you in New York, Matt. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. I'm going through Carvat withdrawal. <laughs> I'm sure you are, because I'm going through Zachary withdrawal. Okay, fantastic. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. I'm so sorry it took two and a half years to get you back on the show, or three years to get you back on the show. Um, but And we need to meet in person. Yes. Yes, yes absolutely. There, there needs to be a Lisa Julie meeting of the minds here um, to get two pale, semi Irish freckled people together. Um to Me? A, we all yeah. get together and share some screens. Lisa, you have freckles. Me? I have no freckles and I have no Irish. Then, then we'll chill. I have, I'm not then, Irish either. I have, I have all of Greek, Jew, Italian. No, you have freckles. Oh wait, no, I'm staring at Kenny. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. Matt's got beer goggles on. Apparently. I do. It's not a good night. Not a good night. Well, thank you, Julie. Good luck to you. Have fun with those ten-year-olds. Actually, they're on vacation right now. They are. All right. So, so enjoy not being around fall. ten-year-olds. Yes, thank you. I will. <laughs> okay. Have a great summer. Thank Happy you for sport. having me. Bye, Julie. Right. Yes, you too. Julie Bye. everybody. All right, let's uh, breeze through the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. They're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to broadcast during this part of the show, send us a note at info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. All right, everybody. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all things social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because we something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. We have a... A whole barrage of Stupid Cancer events coming up. It, it's like a wave of happy hours. It's awesome. We got July 12th in North Carolina, the Triangle in uh, Cary, North Carolina. Wednesday, July 13th in Nashville. Wednesday, July 13th in D.C. Metro. Thursday, July 14th on Long Island. Sunday, July 17th here in New York City. Tuesday, July 19th in Denver. Wednesday, August 17th in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. And Wednesday, August 24th in northern New Jersey in Midland Park. All right. Matt mentioned earlier we were gearing up for the 2012 OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada. Get the scoop on upcoming Save the Date, which Matt gave you earlier. Join the Facebook group and sign up for the mail list at omg2012.org. All right. The uh, Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 800 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, Parents and caregivers just like you visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. Want to help but don't know how? Join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free, it's easy, win great prizes, build our grassroots effort, and meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. And as always, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, our partner in one to one peer matching at immermanangels.org. 
and check out the calendar for First Descents, the premier young adult outdoor adventure organization. Visit firstdescents.org, and that is your stupid cancer news. And I helped. And you helped. Nice job, Kenny. Thank you. One of my all-time favorite people on the planet. Oh, why, thank you. Yeah, you too, Kenny. As an associate director of Pigmented Lesion Services, a Pigmented Lesion Section at NYU Langone Medical Center, Dr. Jennifer Stein specializes in examining patients at a high risk for melanoma. Those at greatest risk for the disease are patients who have previously diagnosed with melanoma, have a family history of melanoma, or have many and or unusual looking moles on their body. Dr. Stein uses tools such as dermoscopy, total body photography, and serial digital imaging to follow high-risk patients. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show returning champion, my friend and yours, Dr. Jennifer Stein. Jenny. Welcome. Welcome back to the show, Jen. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to talk to you. No, it's really great to have you back. You are not just famous for being the premier CBS News go-to person for skin cancer, but you were just in Cosmo magazine, weren't you? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you were on the same page as a bunch of tan celebrities. How ironic was that? Well, no, I have to say that the page before me was a beautiful picture of Laura Linney, who I think is a great example of someone who has nice, fair skin but just looks beautiful and just goes with it. So I think that's I a totally great thing agree. for young people to learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's ironically, right, on, on the big C where she has melanoma, her character does. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's why, right, so we were in Cosmopolitan that's because we were. received an award um, for putting out more information about skin cancer in the media. And so that's why she won the award for what she's done with Big C, which I think is a great right. show. Have you watched those episodes? Do, do, if you were a medical advisor to the screenwriters, do you think they did a good job in, with any clinical dialogue they had going on there? Well, I think it's getting more interesting as she's getting into some newer treatments. Um, and I think right now we're at this very exciting time for melanoma treatment. For so long there was hardly anything to do for people with advanced melanoma. And there's a couple of really exciting drugs that are coming down the pipeline. Um, and so I think that's something they can explore too. So I think it's an exciting time for someone with melanoma. Well, doesn't Bristol-Myers have some big melanoma drug coming out soon? So there's one drug that just got approval, that's ipilimumab, and it's a drug which kind of boosts up your immune system to get your immune system to fight off your melanoma. Um, then there's another drug that's in trials right now that also is looking pretty good. It's looking really good for a lot of people, giving them some number of good months um, where they actually do very, very well. Um, and that one really directly targets the cells that are turning over in the melanoma. So. I think the answer is going to be to put together lots of different drugs. So there's, you know, a few different drugs that are coming down, and, and I think people are starting to do well. So we still don't have a cure yet, but I feel like we are getting some hope for melanoma. So let's take a step back. Let's yeah. talk about what is melanoma and its relation to skin cancer in general. I think people confuse the two, and it's, it's a hard differentiation for the general public, Correct. Sure. Well, melanoma is a type of skin cancer. It's not the most common kind of skin cancer. So when you think about the skin cancers that your grandparents are getting that are getting removed all the time from their faces, those are things like basal cell and squamous cell, which are a lot more common but less dangerous. So melanoma is less common, but it accounts for the vast majority of skin cancer deaths. 
Um, so that's the one where if you don't find it early, if it's if it gets advanced, it's the one can be very very difficult to treat. So it's and a very serious form. Yes. Sure. And so, what's the difference technically between then basal cell and melanoma? What is basal cell by comparison? Oh, so basal cell and squamous cell are actually tumors. They're cancers of the cells that make up. They're the cells that make up most of your skin. So the keratin cells, the cells just make up the structure of the skin. So melanoma comes from the cells that give you the natural color in your skin, the melanocytes. So they're a small fraction of all the cells in your skin. But when those cells kind of go bad and start dividing too quickly, that's melanoma. And it's dangerous because it can travel to other parts of your body. Right, right, right. I'd like to back up and actually talk about protocol for somebody who, particularly because we have a young adult audience and for people who are going to go to the dermatologist and get checked because, you know, I think what a lot of people don't think of is that you can get this where the sun don't shine, right? I mean, that's you right, really have right. to be examined in every part of your body. Um, and, you know, I remember going once to a dermatologist that, you know, had a big fancy office on Park Avenue and, I was sort of asked to disrobe, and I don't know, and she is a male doctor, and I don't know, is there a protocol like with other some other doctors where there should be perhaps a physician's assistant or somebody else in the room, or they should clearly examine every part of your body? Like, tell us how that examination should take place and who should be in the room and where exactly they should examine you. So I think it's important to look you over head to toe. So I, for example, I like to get my patients into a gown, um, a lot of times people like to keep their underwear on and then I just look underneath. You know, it's hard, it's difficult to let people feel comfortable so that they don't feel like they're being looked at so closely that their kind of privacy is being invaded. But then at the same time, it's really important to make sure you look, just like you were saying, look over every every part. You know, and I think for women too, when they go to the gynecologist, it's important for the gynecologist to take a look in those areas too. So. You want to get a good head-to-toe look. You know, some people like it when there's another person in the room with the doctor, and then other patients say they like it better when it's just the patient and the doctor. So it's kind of a personal choice, I think, for patients and doctors. Okay. And what are the kinds of um, numbers or frequency and in terms of where where are we stand with melanoma? Is it getting um, better? Are there more cases, less cases? Could you sort of break it up and particularly by age group and, like, say the under-40 uh, crowd, that's, you know, the majority of our listeners? So for, I would say for the under 40 crowd, the important people to really listen are the women. So women are twice as likely to get melanoma than men in that young adult population. And then once you get kind of in that middle age, like 40 to 50, it really jumps up a lot for men. Um, but the rate of melanoma is definitely on the rise, um, especially for early types of melanoma, which is good. So we're kind of keeping the amounts of people who are dying from melanoma pretty stable. We're picking up a lot of early melanomas now. And that's really how we want to catch it. We want to catch it early while you can still cure it easily just by cutting it out. And is it more common for women under 40 because they're tanning more, or why is that? We don't know exactly what that reason is. It has something to do with hormones. Is it something about the aging process that for men it just takes off so rapidly? You know, these are questions that people are really researching. They're trying to find out more information about. But we do know that there's does seem to be a link between tanning bed use and melanoma and other types of skin cancers, too. So in terms of the um, <clears throat> melanoma is the number one cancer in all young adults across the board, I mean, obviously it occurs more in women than men, young adults, 
But right, but yeah, number one is age 25 to 29 is the most common any kind of skin, any kind of cancer for young adults. That's and right. that's such a tight age bracket for it to be in a like it's like spikes up and then spikes back down again. Yeah, I think it also has to do with other cancers that are going up and down in in, diff, in that kind of young adult age group. So I don't think it's necessarily so much of a it's a spike at that age. I think just kind of relative to other cancers, but that's definitely an age group where. You know, we see all the time lots of young, especially young women with melanoma. So, I mean, it is July 4th. It is the summer. We can always yeah. talk about tanning. Obviously, the Health Care Reform uh, Act that we discussed, I think the last time we were on the show, puts taxes on uh, tanning institutions, and that money is supposed to go to melanoma research. Is that is that the case? Well, I think the tanning tax is a great idea. It's actually being threatened right now, so we're hoping to keep the tanning tax. Um, I think just like we were talking before about cigarettes, I think that's a great way to hopefully keep people from tanning. But clearly more people are tanning, and with television shows going on that feature people that are just bronzed to death, it's sending such a bad message to the youth in this country that it's okay. It's almost like tanning out of the new cigarettes. I think we had that conversation. Are there anything, is there anything going on in sort of the medical community, specifically you know, as a PR campaign. I know I know there was a YouTube video from Canada called Dear 16-Year-Old oh, Me. I don't know if you saw that. That was unbelievable. Yes, yes. So yes. Can you talk that about that video? video? Yeah. I thought it was a really chilling kind of video. Um, and it spotlighted some survivors and families of survivors. Um, I think it was called Dear 16-Year-Old Me. Um, and you have, when I first watched it, I imagined that it was going to be kind of a heavy-handed video, but it wasn't at all. I thought it was just really well done. If you Google it, you can find it. It's kind of all over the Internet. Um, and just one of piece of the message was to look back at, you know, when you were 16, don't start using the tanning beds. Right. Um, so are a, they, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jennifer. Oh, just one other campaign I wanted to mention is Skin Cancer Foundation has a saying which is go with your own glow, just like what I was talking about with Laura Linney before. So if you're born with dark skin, terrific. But if you're born with fair skin, just go with it and just make your skin look as natural and healthy as possible, and that will look beautiful. We had a question here from James. Go ahead. So obviously we're not getting enough vitamin D, and I've heard some doctors say that if you're going to go out, you need to not wear sunscreen for about 15 minutes so that you can get the vitamin D. Is that something you would recommend, or how do you recommend people get the vitamin D allowance that they need? You can get vitamin D by taking it in through your diet, and that's a safe way of getting vitamin D. So either, you know, drinking milk, which has vitamin D in it, or just taking a a pill with vitamin D. A lot of times women are trying to take calcium anyway, and the calcium comes with the vitamin D, so that's a safe way of doing it. I mean, there's actually a study that showed if you're up here in New York and in the middle of the wintertime, 15 minutes without sunscreen isn't going to get you enough vitamin D anyway. So we think a safer way to go about it is just get it through your diet. Now, we can't have you on the show without you going over the A, B, C, D, E's for skin cancer. Um, I, I, it, it sounds like it's some sort of childish game, name it that, but it's really a standard by which all people are communicating about knowing your skin. Is that correct? Right, so this is a mnemonic, an easy way to remember some of the important early warning signs of melanoma. It was developed at NYU about 25 years ago. So it goes A, B, C, D, E. So A stands for asymmetry. So if you have a mole where one side looks different from the other, that's worrisome. B is for border. So if you have something with an irregular border, it can also be worrisome. C 
C stands for color, too many colors is worrisome, D for diameter or size, anything bigger than a pencil eraser, and then E for evolving or changing. So if you have something that always looked a certain way and then all of a sudden it's gotten darker, more raised, it's bleeding, you just have a funny feeling about it, then you have, should have it looked at. And Jennifer, tell us to uh, sort of set the record straight in terms of all this SPF, you know, 30, 15, 100, 70. Uh, what, what do you recommend? I mean, what should we be looking for out there when we go to the pharmacy to get our sunscreen? So I think an SPF of 30 or higher is good. Um, the reason to consider getting something higher is that a lot of times people don't use the same amount as the manufacturer uses when they tell you what the SPF is. So if you get a 30 and just put a little bit on, you're probably not actually getting 30. So if you go a little higher than that then and you don't use quite enough, you'll still be protected. Um, so you want an SPF of 30 or higher, and then also look for something that has good UVA protection. So SPF tells you how much UVB, and then UVA is harder to know about right now. Fortunately, the FDA just passed some new rules that hopefully next year we're going to have a lot more information on our sunscreen about how much UVA protection is in there. Okay. And also, you know, there's um, studies that come out, there's kind of environmental groups that talk about some sunscreens that may not be good for you. Can you, you know, that they, they, they sort of sound the alarms that there could be chemicals and toxicity concerns for certain sunscreens that are out there. Anything you can tell us about that? Sure. I know there's been a lot in the media with some concerns about certain sunscreens, but if you go on the Skin Cancer Foundation, there's a nice article that kind of goes over each of those particular chemicals that some people have been worried about, and we think everything that's out there right now is, is safe. Um, you know, there's been some issue with various chemicals that there have been kind of preliminary, not very good studies that were never repeated again, that kind of were never replicated and we think are perfectly fine in people. <clears throat> um, and so right now I think everything that's on the market is safe. Okay, I'm looking at one. Well, so it's kind of a lot of hype, but not so much. Yeah, okay. Substance. Right, like this oxybenzone is one I'm seeing that they right. don't small children. But, right, I uh, think it's fine. I mean, if you have concerns about chemicals and whatnot, you can get some. You can get sunscreens that just have zinc or titanium in them. Those are physical blockers. And when you think about lifeguards with the white nose, that's zinc or titanium. But now right. they have new formulations that make it very easy to rub in. So those are great sunscreens, and they have good both UVA and UVB protection. They work well. Okay. And what's the website? SkinCancerFoundation.com. Oh yeah, the SkinCancerFoundation.org. Dot org. Dot org. Okay. Yeah. So, Jenny, Great. final question yeah. here for you. Um, we talk about this all the time, the invincibility complex of the youth out there. It can't happen to me. I need to look good. Is there a potential here to break that stigma where we will, not to scare them to death, but in a way to change behavior even a little bit in this generation? It, do, do you think there's hope for that? I definitely think there's hope for it. I think more and more I see people in the office who are coming in who are, you know, talking about how they're checking their skin and they're being careful about the sun. And I think, you know, I think it was so great when we, I was listening to the beginning of, of your of the first segment, talking to the kids and changing their behaviors from early on. If you look at Australia, where they have tremendous rates of melanoma, they've had tremendous campaigns and really have changed behaviors just by talking to children and teenagers. So I think we have a lot of hope going forward. You know, sun is not the entire story with, with melanoma. I think it's one piece of it, but it's a piece that we can actually do something about. 
And in closing, I will, I've, uh, I'll let everyone know that I formally invited you to speak on the Skin Cancer Melanoma panel at the OMG Summit next year. Uh, I do hope you're able to make it. I know that uh, you've been on this show three times now, and uh, it would be absolutely fantastic to have you out there as an expert. Well, thanks so much for the invitation, and it's really great to be on the show. I love talking to you. Thank Good you. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Jen. Take care of yourself. Give my best to Evan and, and so Josh. Much. Thanks so much. Take All care. Right. Okay. Dr. Care. Jenny Stein. And I mentioned this before, Lisa and uh, Kenny and James. I've known Jenny since our first day of first grade. Very cool. Is that right? Yes. Wow. That is right. That would be 1980. 1980. So I've known her 31 years. Wow. That's so she's, she's probably she's my oldest friend. She's your age, and she's a big fancy doctor. She's a big. She got the MD PhD at NYU. Like she's she's a big fancy doctor. Her husband has an MD PhD also in uh, radiology, I believe. Boy. Yeah. And what are he, we doing? Yeah, I feel like such an underachiever. I'm I'm like a radio ho- host person tonight of yeah. some sort. You're All like right. uh, Smoochie meets Howard Stern <laughs> Smoo- meets cancer. <laughs> Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie. Okay, let us bring out our final guest tonight. <laughs> Samantha Guild is the patient advocate for AIM at Melanoma, which was started in memory of her sister, Charlie, who at the age of 26 passed away from melanoma. Samantha is responsible for finding and assisting state legislators in introducing and passing indoor tanning bed legislation throughout the country, an important step. She also acts as the liaison between various advocacy groups and legislators and provides testimony and materials discussing the need for such legislation. Among other things, Samantha always organ- also organizes the patient and caregiver symposium at major cancer centers throughout the country. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show inaugural debut, Samantha Guild. Hi, guys. Hey. Can I call you Sam? Yeah, go for it. All right, Sam. Thank you very much. Too many syllables. I'm very lazy tonight. So you've been listening. You've been listening to this show uh, for yes. a while now. I, I've known your mom, Valerie, through Dr. Leonard Center, our board chair, for several years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like beating myself up for not having you on the show earlier, but I'm thrilled to finally have you guys uh, here on the air. Great. Well, I'm really glad to be here. And like I said, the timing worked out because it's the Fourth of July. It's mm-hmm. skin toning, tanning, crazy Jersey people. Not Julie. No, Julie School. The other Jersey people. Yeah. And uh, so I want to I want to first start off by just let share your story about your your sister who unfortunately passed away from melanoma, if you would. Um, well, um, she was diagnosed at 25 with stage four melanoma, and this was about nine years ago. Um, and when she was diagnosed, at that point, we knew what the prognosis was. It was just simply a question of you know making it you know her as comfortable as possible. Um, Charlie really thought that she was going to beat the disease and decided that when um, she did, she was going to do something about it. Um, Unfortunately, nine and a half months later, she did pass away, and so this foundation was started in her memory to um, prevent other people from getting melanoma. And then for those who do, uh, do whatever we can to provide education, assistance, whatever it is that they would need to hopefully beat the disease themselves. And, and Samantha, was she was Charlie? Tell us a little bit again about her diagnosis. I mean, you said she was diagnosed at stage four. Was Correct. it something she had seen that she had noticed that she was looking at, or no? Did it come up sort of 
suddenly? What? Uh, how did that? Yeah. You know, we don't know to this day what the cause was. You know, really, by the point that she was diagnosed, that really wasn't an issue. Um, We were more concerned about, you know, what do we deal with the current time. By the time that she was diagnosed, she'd been having some um, um, pain inside her chest. And, you know, it took her actually several months to for them to figure out what it was. But when they finally did the uh, CT scan, they just saw tumors all throughout her body. So she might have been one of those unusual situations where the mole did not appear above the skin or recessed afterwards, but they never did figure out where the primary was. And, again, that was not the concern um, at the time, so we never bothered pursuing it. Sure, but it didn't. But you're saying that the primary melanoma did not appear above the skin? We don't we don't really know. You don't know. Um, you don't know. Because, like I yeah. said, we weren't focused on it. Like I said, at that point... Right. You know, there's very few treatments for the disease. Um, It's essentially a quality of life issue. Uh, I mean, we do have a a current treatment that just, you know, was FDA approved in March, but essentially there is nothing. And so it's more of a question of focusing on making her the most comfortable um, that we could. And so that's, like I said, that was the focus. We knew at that point it was stage four. She was terminal. Um, so we just wanted to move forward. We, you know, if we had to suspect, we would say that, you know, what caused the melanoma was likely um, a bad sunburn or sunburns when she was a child. Um, a lot of people, you know, that, that redness on the skin that we get, that sunburn, that's the you know, skin telling you that you're hurting me. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we don't do enough now, especially back then when we knew very, even less, to prevent skin cancer. Um, you know, just putting that sunscreen first thing on the morning and then sending your kids off to camp isn't enough. You know, just like with adults, we have to be reapplying that sunscreen every two or three hours. We need to be making sure that we do use a high enough SPF, uh, sun hats, protective clothing, that sort of thing. Um, and that's really the best way to beat it. And so, you know, it's very possible that's how she, um, you know, caught, well, the reason that um, her melanoma was developed was a bad sunburn or sunburns during her childhood. Wow, and did she, because you, there's no other incidents of the disease in your family? We're not aware of anything, um, you know, so this is really, you know, this is really came out of the blue. Um, I had actually, sorry, I should back up. Um, actually, I was diagnosed actually with melanoma two and a half years ago. See, I don't even think about myself. Um, wow. Because I, had, because I had a stage, um, I was diagnosed with a stage one melanoma, and so even when I was diagnosed, I didn't think anything of it. I mean, who at, at a young age, at least in my mind, got cancer? Um, you just, it's, oh. it's very unusual. Um, so I was diagnosed. We don't think it was that the two diagnoses are at all related. It was just, you know, unfortunately, lightning striking twice. Yeah. So how old how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 27. Okay. So, so well, and it's not unusual. I mean, when you talk about and you were talking about it earlier, melanoma. You know, it's one of the most common cancers among young adults. Um, yeah. It's the leading cause of death for women uh, between the age of 25 to 30. It's the second cause of death for women between 30 and 34. Right. So tell us more about your work as a patient advocate in terms of, like, where we stand in terms of states in this country with canning bed legislation and, um, and, and a little bit more about the kind of symposiums that you hold. Okay. Well, I'll start with the indoor tanning legislation. So currently um, there's only 32 states that have some sort of restrictions or regulations when it comes to indoor tanning beds. So essentially in many states, those whatever, 18 states, you know, a 12-year-old could walk into a tanning bed facility and just say, you know, I want to lie in your bed and, you know, go for it. Um, That's a quality states. redneck right there. <laughs> well, you know, I certainly disagree, you know, with um, 
you know, people allowing their children to do it. Um, but, you know, you know, so what we are trying to do is actually prevent that. Um, there are 32 states that have some sort of restrictions. The most restrictive in this country currently, would you believe, is Howard County. It's not a state. It's a county in Maryland. And they ban minors under the age of 18, regardless of whether parents approve of tanning beds or not, prevent them outright from using the tanning beds. As far as Forget states, fake IDs uh, to drink. You need a fake ID to tan now. You know, um, if they if that's what they're going to try to do, that's what they're going to do. But you know, that's I don't. I, my understanding is that there's actually 100% compliance in Howard County, that's so they amazing. actually are not they are not um, allowing under 18s to use tanning bed. And you know, we do know that there are spray towns, so you know, you don't even need a fake ID. You just get yourself spray towns. Um, would you believe Texas actually bans under 16 and a half? Um, they are the most restrictive state in the country of all places, Texas. Um, and then um, I would think the Texas would let you tan in the lecture chair. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was that was a pretty hard bill to get through, but yeah, Texas actually is the most restrictive in the country. And then you have various states that have various um, bans, um, like California bans under 14, New York, New Jersey. And then a handful of states do require parents to sign the consent forms, which we know they're doing. Um, so what we are trying to do is we are actually introducing bills all throughout the country. Um, several of them are, are still alive, like California is actually being heard tomorrow, New York, New Jersey. These are all bills that would ban minors under 18 from using tanning beds, even with a, even, regardless of a parent's consent. And telling the, you know, tanning salons and telling teenagers, you know, use a spray tan. You want to have that, quote, bronze look. Um, you can still have it. Um, personally, I think you know being pale and pasty is great. I mean, I'm pale and pasty. I think that's what we should advocate. Um, but that's what our you know our foundation is trying to do is trying to prevent minors from using the, the salons. And clearly, we have a lot of support: the American Cancer Society, the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, the American Academy of Dermatology. They've all been really supportive of these bills. So that's what we're trying to do: getting the legislators to introduce, and then we go ahead and we we do what we can to support them. And then with the patient symposiums um, for stage three, stage four melanoma patients and their caregivers, uh, we put on um, symposiums throughout the country where they can come and learn about what treatments are available. You know, we talked about my sister when there wasn't very much. Well, nowadays there are clinical trials everywhere that are being offered, and so we're just trying to, you know, inform patients, let them know what's out there, um, and then give them, you know, send them in the right direction if that's something they're interested in getting involved with. So yeah. what's the mission of Amy Melanoma? What was the primary reason you founded it? Originally, um, it was founded to educate people. Um, when Charlie was was uh, dying, um, there wasn't really a um, location, one place you can go to to learn about the disease. You know, um, what treatments are available, what support systems are there, what is stage four melanoma? I mean, there, I mean, you could get the information, but it was all over the Internet. So the main focus was to sit there and put it all into one place, and that's our website. Everything you could possibly ever want to know about melanoma is there on the website. So we achieved that one of those that goal. The other goal we are still working on, and that is to create an international um, uh, tissue bank. Um, and this would be a tissue bank um, to wait. One you know, does not exist right now. Not um, fresh frozen does not exist. No. Um, and because it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. You have to literally ask the derms to help collect all these tissue. and you go, it's, very, it's a very difficult process. 
um, they have frozen tissue that they are using. But the trick is to get fresh frozen. So it's right from the individuals who were diagnosed. And that is our second goal, and we are still working on that. So, so uh, going back to our chat with, with uh, Dr. Stein from NYU, um, okay. who I, I, you heard me say I've known for 31 years at this point, you know, she, she seems to know her, sh- her, her shit. And, and in terms of this Yerba Boy, I think that's Yerba. the pronouncement. Yeah, from, mm-hmm. from BMS, that sounds very promising, no? Oh, it's, it does. It's actually it's a great drug. Um, it does extend the quality of life for a few months. Um, it's going to extend your survival for a few months. It, it improves quality. In the long term, though, it's not a cure. Um, and we all understand that, so it's certainly a, you know, a, a step in the right direction. Um, there's another drug that um, uh, it's called VEM for short. We're going to be called VEM. It's actually the BRAF, known as the BRAF drug. We're hoping that's going to be Im- improved in the fall. You probably heard all about it. Um, it actually shrinks the t- tumors tremendously. The hope is that a combination of the BRAF drug, Yervoy, and some of these other drugs that are hopefully coming through the pipeline are really going to make a huge difference and hopefully add years to people's lives. So, uh, just to, so we got about five minutes left here. I want to get through. There's so many things to talk about, <laughs> but I, I like the focus on the legislative stuff. You know, okay. what, what, are, what are the barriers for your success in terms of convincing legislators? That it's in the interest of their teenage children to, you know, <laughs> that this is important. Where is the is the pushback coming from this? Oh wow, that's a really big question. Okay, so um, well, first of all, the biggest problem we have is um, people who say it's bad for business. Um, believe it or not, people think you know we should not be you know doing this for health reasons because you're going to hurt. Business in the, in the tanning industry, they say, is a woman-owned company. They employ women, and we're going to have to lay people off if we can't tan the teenagers. And you know, you deal with a lot of people who say they don't want to be seen as you know bad for business in a quote recession. So what we're really trying to do to combat that is to say, look, we're not hurting businesses. They've got spray tans. Uh, the Kardashian sisters, um, there's other companies out there that are now creating these spray tans that look phenomenal. So we're not hurting a business, but that's often what legislators hear from the indoor tanning industry. You're going to hurt us financially. You talked about the tax earlier. Um, they're saying, look, we already got hit with the tax, and now you're trying to hit us with this. We're going to lose our customers, and we don't want to do that. The other problem we're having with legislators is that they don't want to be, quote, the nanny state. Um, you know, we shouldn't be telling parents how to parent their children. But again, I mean, doesn't legislator legislatures already do that? I mean, they tell you you can't, you know, smoke cigarettes. They tell you you can't drink alcohol. Um, you know, I, I know you've got, you know, small kids. They tell you you got to put them into a car seat. So, but that's the other issue. You know, they don't want to be seen as a nanny state. The government shouldn't be legislating everything. But um, it's like they're that, legislating common sense. Well. You know, we've actually, I'm not going to name names, but we've actually been told by legislators, I think it's a great thing you're doing. I think that this is, a, you know, will help people. I know the dangers, but I'm not going to introduce the bill um, because they want to be reelected. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we get the bills introduced anyway, and sometimes they do go ahead and support us. But it's a really hard battle, I mean, a battle. Um, it really is the David and Goliath story. I mean, the indoor tanning industry pay top lobbyists, you know, thousands of dollars to fight these bills, and then there's me and some of the other groups that help. Um, and so that's why we really rely upon individuals to contact their legislators, 
because again, going back to the bad business or the you know the quote nanny state, it's important that people call up and say, look, I understand that you're telling me that I can't do X, Y, and Z, but I'm okay with that. Right. Um, I don't mind. Um, but that's where the battle is. The legislators, you know, don't want to be seen as these bad people, and they don't necessarily always hear from their legislate no, excuse me, their constituents that they want these bills supported. What has helped us is that obviously we have the you know, American Academy of Pediatrics that came out in February. There's the American Medical Association, the AAD, um, the ACS has been a tremendous um, support with a lot of these bills, and that has really helped convince legislators to either sponsor the bills or to support it. But you know, we had um, probably over 30 bills that were introduced this last year, and um, in most states, um, legislators. The sessions only at last like three, four, at most five months, um, and that's it. They're over and done with, and they're only one-year sessions. So in many states, um, the sessions have, not, have since ended, and in most of those bills have died. Um, there's only a handful of states like New York, New Jersey, California, Pennsylvania that are still alive. Um, and we don't know. And again, we started with 30 bills, and this is all that we have left. Wow. Well, keep fighting the good fight. Yeah. I was going to say, like, it sounds like part of it is, like, the free market. Because, like, you know, where where, uh, parents just see their kids being obese and realize that they're just bad parents on their own of guilt. And they'll start, like, they don't need the government to regulate what their kids are eating. But do we need, do we just need, and it's a horrible thing to say, but we just need more teenagers getting melanoma for these parents to start acting up. And for there to be, yeah, it's horrible to think that way. But isn't that, like, that's what has to happen, isn't it? Well, I, I, well, I think what's happening is that you are already seeing that. The problem is, remember, the tanning beds, you know, are fairly new. You know, they only have been around for the last 20 years. Have you know, and so you know, you're only beginning to see the numbers rise. So the teenagers that are tanning now, you're probably not going to see their melanomas for another 10, 15, 20 years, right? At least. You know, do we really want to stick around and wait that long? You know, no, of course not. I'll probably be ahead in the jar by then, but at the end of the day, uh, anyway, we we have to we have to wrap out of time. I'm really sorry about that, but I would like to extend to you. I think I sent this already when I saw you at ASCO in Chicago. I would like to invite you guys as well to share in a panel or the development of a panel on this very topic at the Palms uh, under a tarp. I promise, outside by the pool <laughs> with sunscreen. I with, hope with a free sunscreen sponsor. Let's get a sunscreen sponsor to underwrite the. Uh, the tanning seminar at the OMG Summit. But in all seriousness, I am uh, very proud to be associated with your organization. Uh, you and your mom are superstars, and uh, congratulations on all the work that you're doing, in, uh, not just in memory of your sister, but on behalf of you know, pretty much the whole country, for that matter. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing, because I don't think a lot of people like I did when I was younger realize that young people do get cancer. Yep. Um, so I appreciate what you guys are doing as well. Well, enjoy your nice weather out there Thank on the you. West Coast. Give my best and to your mom. have a great Fourth of July. Yeah, have a happy Fourth okay. of July, Sam. Thank you. Okay, okay, you guys Thanks, take care. Sam. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Samantha Gill bye-bye. from AIM at Melanoma. The website is AIM, A-I-M, at melanoma.org. And in closing, I forgot to mention, Lisa, you'll like this. I thought, think, don't know if you saw this in the news, but the FDA approved the continuation of Avastin. Oh, yeah, gosh. Yes. Right. Despite the FDA's ruling, the the uh, they are still going to give away um, Avastin and prescribe it, yeah. which is good. That's huge. That's I mean, a lot of women say they 
you know, count on it and rely on it and don't. And uh, so that's huge for them. Big deal. It's a big deal. Yep. Well, thanks for calling in from your bunker. We'll see you back here next week. Okay. Dick and Rummy, say farewell. Okay, Dick and Rummy. <laughs> what, are you, what kind of film are you shooting out there? <laughs> <laughs> With that, oh, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show, our 192nd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Julie Carvach, Dr. Jennifer Stein, and Samantha Gill from AIM and Melanoma. Next week's show is all about the future of nonprofits in this country. Randall C. Moss, social media marketing manager at MedWest. I can't pronounce that. He's the author of a great book called The Future of Nonprofits. Dr. David Renz, the Beth K. Smith, Missouri Chair in Nonprofit Leadership, the Director of the Midwest Cancer for Nonprofit Leadership, and the Chair of the Department of Public Affairs at the University of Missouri. And in our Survivor Spotlight from I2I Seattle, Angela Van Truren, young adult survivor of small cell carcinoma of the cervix and a member of CaringBridge. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com and check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here, that's why have a great week. In this war, too many soldiers are serving multiple tours, so...